This committee will come to order. State your name, please. Franklin Conjoli. And where were you born? Puerto Rico. It's outside of Palermo. We have here, finally, a witness that will further testify to Michael Corleone's rule over a criminal empire that controls all of the gambling in this country, and perhaps in other countries. He can corroborate our charges on enough counts for this committee to recommend a charge of perjury against Michael Corleone. Senator. Thank you, Chairman. Mr. Pentangeli. Mr. Pentangeli. Were you a member of the Corleone family? Did you serve under Capo regime, Peter Clemenza, under Vito Corleone, also known as the Godfather? Again, sir. Here and now, under oath, were you at any time a member of a crime organization headed by Michael Corleone? I don't know nothing about that. He's not under subpoena, and his reputation in his own country is impeccable. Are you saying he knows nothing about these matters? To my knowledge, nothing. You one former intel officials who sent the now famous letter on October 19th, 2020, saying that the Russian uh, the story in the New York Post had all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Have you talked to any of those 51 prior to that letter being sent on the 19th or after? Uh, sir, I can't remember who's on that group, but... Clapper, Brennan, Morrill. I've talked to those people during the course of my career, yes. Have you talked to them well, in your time at Twitter? I can't remember who's on that list, so I, I'm afraid... No, how about the three I just mentioned, Clapper and Brennan? <laughs> okay. Mr. Mr. Jordan, I don't recall discussing that publication that they did about the Hunter Biden uh, laptop with any of those people. Of uh, some of our agent tooling, but I did not have access to that, so I'm not very familiar okay. with that. Okay, well, Ms. Caddy, the labels identify status that have been assigned to these accounts. Is that correct? I don't know. Ma'am, these are your internal things. You're telling me you don't, you don't receive these, you don't know what they mean? Representative, I did not have access to these tools, and so I don't know. Uh, they look they look familiar to me. As an executive, you did not have access to inside information at, at, at Twitter. Okay. You also said that Twitter does not shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. Do you stand by those comments? While I was at Twitter, to the best of my knowledge, we did not do that. Okay. Did you or others at Twitter communicate with government officials by means of disappearing messaging systems like Signal, Snapchat, or Wicker? Mr. Baker, yes or no? Have I ever communicated with a government official using those? Y yes or no? I don't recall. Ms. Gaddy? Not to the best of my recollection. Yes. Mr. Rowley? Not to my recollection, no. Now I'd like to submit for the record an article by the New York Post titled, quote, Twitter refused to remove child porn because it didn't violate policies. Ms. Getty, who was involved in this determination? I'm not familiar with this situation. Mr. Roth, are you familiar with it? No, sir, I'm not. The other government agency, that one, did they ever request information regarding violations of Twitter's policies? The CIA. Gentlemen, time's expired, but please answer the question. Thank you, Chairman. Again, I don't recall specific contact from the CIA, no. Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023. And the first part of the soft open was from the Godfather 2 movie, where Frankie Pentangeli, in a hearing against 
Michael Corleone suddenly forgets everything. Oh, no, I, I forget. I don't recall. And then the second part of the cold open was the House Oversight Committee on the Hunter Biden laptop, where they subpoenaed three top Twitter executives that were all involved with suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop, as well as many other conservative voices. And the reason I put these two together is that they're one and the same. Their, their reactions, their responses are one and the same. These Twitter executives are no better than mobsters. They lie, they cheat, they steal. They're no different than Michael Corleone. They're no different than Frankie Pentangeli. And you hear, oh, I don't recall. I'm not aware of this. That's all you hear from them. These are responses of guilty people. You know, and this has been a really good week because the Republicans are doing what they said they are going to do. And this is a hearing on the Hunter Biden laptop, not to be confused with another hearing that started this week on the weaponization of government institutions, which is headed by Jim Jordan. So the Republicans are doing what they are doing, what they said they wanted to do. And they're just exposing Twitter and they're exposing government agencies as colluding against you and me, the American people. And it's funny is that you got the Democrats out there, you got the media out there saying, oh, this is no big deal. Uh, Twitter already said that. Oh, they made a mistake. Oh, yeah, some mistake. What do they live by the rule of it's better to get forgiveness than it is permission? Well, that's not a way to run a company. That's not a way to run anything when, when you got the future of this country at stake. And all you hear from these executives, oh, I don't recall. To the best of my knowledge, I don't remember. Best words of a mobster, I don't remember. I can't recall. So add Twitter executives into that mix. And this is a big deal. Other Democrats and other people in the media, you know, people trying to make a, a case where, well, this is a private institution. They can do whatever they want. They can suppress free speech if they want. Not necessarily. Now, it's clear that they colluded. And that's why you're getting so many of these, oh, I can't remember, I don't recall, because they don't want you to know this connection between them and the federal government. So I do think there will be some criminal referrals as a result of this. And what I mean by criminal referrals, that these Twitter executives have criminal liability. Not only do they have criminal liability, you've got bureaucrats working in our institutions to have criminal liability on this think about think about what they did they interfered with an election for the president of the united states there's no ifs ands or buts about this at the very least it's unethical and at the worst it's severely criminal so again both twitter executives and bureaucrats in washington have a lot to be concerned about as a result of these hearings now, it's going to take time. You have to have patience, but this is what's coming. And with that said, I want to switch to a clip from Anna Paulina Luna. And she's questioning Yoel Roth about whether he was on a private communications email network. It's called JIRA. And Roth was playing this game. Well, I don't recall. So he denied he was ever on JIRA. And Anna Paulina Luna comes back and sticks it right in his face comes back with the email that was pulled off of Jira. 
Well, let's play the clip, and then I'll, and I'll get into a little more detail after the clip about Jira. But Jira is a private, for lack of a word, a, a private email, and they're difficult to trace. But Anna Polina Luna got her hands on the emails. So let's go to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. Um, have you communicated with government officials ever on a platform called Jira? Yes or no? Real quick answer. We're on the clock. Not yes to no. the best of my recollection. Not no. to your recollection? Great. Did you ever speak to government officials on Jira regarding taking down social media posts? Again, not to the best of my recollection. Can you explain to me why the federal government would ever have interest in communicating through Jira, mind you, a private cloud server with social media companies without oversight to censor American voices? I want to let you know that this is a violation of the First Amendment and the federal government is colluding with social media companies to censor Americans. On November 3rd, 2020, that you, Mr. Roth, a Twitter employee, were exchanging communications on Jira, a private cloud server, with CISA, NASS, NASED, and Alex Stamos, who now works at Stanford and is a former security, of, um, security officer at Facebook to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This, Do you, this, is, this is your stuff. Yes or no, did you communicate with a private entity, the government agency, on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I could Yes or no. Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no. Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. Now, not only did Luna catch Roth in a bold-faced lie, where he likely perjured himself, but she also exposes JIRA. This JIRA is a private... Like I said, a private email. But look who's communicating on this privately. You had Twitter, Homeland Security, a number of other cyber agencies associated with the federal government. You had universities involved with this. And you had the National Association of Secretary of States. And you also had a National Association of State Election Officials tied into this. Isn't that scary? What I find really, really disturbing in this whole thing. Guess who was also involved with this? The DNC. Now, Luna said she's researching this further, but it's likely that the DNC was involved with this whole email ring and JIRA. And as Luna said, the problem, problem with this is that there's no oversight on this. There's no government oversight on this because it was secret. They had held secret meetings, government agencies, businesses, universities, the National Association of State Election Officials. These were all secret meetings. And Luna makes a point that there's no, government, there's no government oversight with secret meetings, secret societies. So we shall see. And I just wanted to go to a clip. One of the things that a lot of people are missing, and it was brought up by Byron Donalds, and I'm going to go to a clip, and he, he makes a really good point. He said, look, a lot of this suppression of the Hunter, Hunter Biden laptop really constitutes a donation to the Biden campaign. And that's got to be reported. Now, federal election law requires that you report not only 
campaign contributions in the form of dollars, but you have to report in-kind contributions. And you can make a really good case that this suppression of the laptop is an in-kind contribution from Twitter or these executives personally to the Biden campaign. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Have you guys been able to quantify the amount of in-kind contributions associated with taking down the New York Post story? Because the New York Post story was down for two weeks, give or take. Do you have, do you have any uh, understanding of how, how much that story was limited by Twitter and also by other social media companies? What the impact of an in-kind contribution that would be to the Joe Biden presidential election in 2020? I don't know the answer to that question, sir. Do you think it's big? I don't know the answer. Do you think it's more than a maximum contribution to a campaign? I don't. I wouldn't want to speculate. Would you call it 25000 I don't know the answer to that question. 100000 Sir, I don't know the answer to the question. A million? I don't know the answer to the question. Do you think Twitter will be in violation of uh, federal election laws with the size of an in-kind contribution to take down a story, which is true, by the way, because you guys thought you knew something with limited information? I'm not going to speculate on that uh, sitting here today, sir. I'll yield back. And thank you, Byron. That was very insightful. Now, one of the themes of my podcast since I started about a year ago has been uh, this underlying theme that the people that are manning our institutions are not top quality. They're not top quality in intellect, character, wisdom, and people wonder why we have lost faith in our institutions. And with that said, I want to go to a clip by Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is during the hearings. And she was banned by Twitter. And she's now getting her pound of flesh. And one of the things she points out is she points out that, well, wait a second. You banned me. You banned Donald Trump. You banned uh, the New York Post. But you allow child pornography to run rampant through Twitter. So with that said, let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. And you know what? Let's talk about something a little bit further. It's amazing to me, Mr. Roth, as the head and trust of safety at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grindr an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child, child porn all over Twitter. That is repulsive. But you violated me. What, what were my tweets? Okay, let's talk about them. I was also saying that I didn't think the in, any entity should enforce a non-FDA non approved vaccine or mask. Guess what? A lot of people agreed with me, but you called that COVID misinformation. I also said the controversial COVID-19 vaccines should not be forced on our military. You want to know something? Republicans stop that in the NDAA. Okay, I want to take us over to the weaponization of government hearing, which is headed by Jim Jordan. And I want to go to a clip by Jonathan Turley. He's the constitutional lawyer. I think he's at the universe, uh, George Washington University. And he's testifying at this hearing. Let's go to the clip 
and discuss because it's very, very important that you pay attention to this because it kind of ties into what we've already learned so far from the Oversight Committee. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Is that there is a crisis of faith and it's not just simply with some of our constitutional values. Polls are showing that people have a distrust for the federal government, but also with the FBI. 20% in a recent poll said that the FBI was the greatest threat to the country. Only 40% of Americans said that they trust the FBI most of the time. 53% said they felt the FBI was acting politically. What I'm saying is it's a serious problem when the public, large portions of the public, have that level of distrust. There are two different aspects to that analysis. One is that we do have direct action shown in the Twitter files by government employees. We know that there were dozens of federal employees who tagged or targeted particular posts and posters for possible elimination and suspension. Now, we can question whether that was a directive or a partnership or a coordination, but there was direct government conduct. So the question for this committee, first and foremost, is do you want your government in that business? And we can have, I hope, a civil and and respectful conversation about that. What's interesting about the Twitter files is that they establish what could be viewed as an agency. Now, as I go through a lot of the cases in the past, courts have really struggled with this. At what point does a private party become an agent of the government? Cases like Page and others say that you can have that. Even if, by the way, the private agent turns down some requests, you can have that. And I go through the various tests uh, that, that apply. I also go through three things that are established. One, this may be the largest censorship system in the history of our country. Twitter alone reaches 450 million people. They're 15th on social media. Companies like Facebook dwarf them in terms of their size. It is a censorship system. The ACLU has made clear that censorship can be both in government or private form, and it certainly can be in a government and private uh, uh, um, type of coordination. Second, uh, this is beyond what agencies usually do. This was not the FBI responding to criticism of the FBI. It was generally policing this thing called disinformation. And eventually they tagged things like jokes. They tagged just a ridiculous scope of information that they believed could be removed. And then third, what we have here on these, uh, in terms of, of what the government's doing is what we've seen before. Even if you assume that this does not create an agency relationship, it's wrong. It's wrong for the government to be in the business of silencing citizens. It's wrong. We saw it during the McCarthy period, where the government was behind the blacklisting of individuals. We said it was wrong. It was wrong then. It's wrong now. Okay, we're tough guys now. We shot down a second balloon over Alaska. Are you afraid, China? Now, this is unlike the first balloon, where we saw it over the Aleutian Islands, and then we let it in, and we let it come down the Midwest. We let it linger over Air Force bases, ICBM silos, and then make its way down all the way through the United States, where we shot it down after the balloon finished its intelligent gathering. So we let it gather intelligence. Then it goes, I guess, around Myrtle Beach, And we shoot it down over the Atlantic Ocean. 
And what gets me is a couple of things. I, it, it, it's just an embarrassment. This whole thing just shows our weakness. Now, one of the things I thought was comical, there was a White House uh, spokesperson, and she had said that, well, the reason we're not shooting it down is that we want to gain intelligence from the balloon. We want to observe it, see what, we, what kind of intelligence we can gain by observing it up in the air. And this is after the military came out and said they didn't want to shoot it down earlier because we were afraid that parts were going to fall on populations and, and possibly hit and hurt people. And this is where it was over one of the most sparsely populated areas in the United States. Who was going to hit a cow? A barn at worst? And how much damage can a balloon do anyway? Now, I know there was some metal attached to it, but you know we worry about satellites and space junk falling to Earth. Doesn't prevent us from shooting rockets and satellites into space. But we're worried about shooting down a balloon in Montana? That's just stupid. That's just bizarre. Just such a weak, weak excuse. Essentially for being afraid to shoot it down. And they were afraid to shoot it down. Because the early reports is that apparently Biden wanted to shoot it down early and the military said no because we don't want to tick off the Chinese. And then there was so much pressure put on the Biden administration and the military, they had to shoot it down. And then they tried to cover it up or they tried to mitigate the problem by saying, oh, you know, the same thing happened under Trump. Well, nobody told Trump. Nobody told the NSA, NSA director. No one told John Bolton. So no one in the Trump administration was told anything about balloons coming in. But here's what we found out. We found out that NORAD, uh, we didn't quite know when those balloons came in. We didn't know how they came in. We kind of found out from intelligence. Intelligence sources told us that these balloons were in. Now, what is NORAD doing? They're very good at tracking Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. They're really good at that. But they can't track a balloon? And you, you really want to expose our weaknesses to China? You just did. Yeah, Nora wants to spend their time tracking Santa Claus. But if you're a Chinese balloon, come on in. No problem. We'll look the other way. We're focused on Santa Claus. And while I'm at it, by the way, because we're so gun happy right now, is Santa Claus going to have a problem Christmas Eve? Is he going to have to get shot down by an F-16? Does he have to worry about that? Because you know how government is. They get caught on something. They get caught on something embarrassing. They overcompensate by shooting everything out of the sky, including Santa Claus. Now, if this is indeed a Chinese balloon, expect more. This is just the Chinese government, the Chinese military, just trying to embarrass us more and more. I'm sure they're going to spend more, send more and more balloons over here just to embarrass us more. So we shall see. And on the heels of this balloon fiasco... We've got Kim Jong-un preparing his military for war. And let me just read an article, and this is from the Gateway Pundit. Headline says, North Korea announces efforts to increase its preparedness for war. Two days ago, North Korea leader Kim Jong-un ordered his military to better prepare for war. The North Korean leader has ordered his military to expand its combat exercises and strengthen war preparedness as he looks to escalate an already provocative run in weapons demonstrations in the face of deepening tensions with its neighbors and Washington. So there we have it. You have to understand, I've always said this, these dictators, these thugs in the world, 
they know nothing but strength. And they smell blood in the water with weakness. And let me tell you something. If and when China attacks Taiwan, it would not be a surprise if North Korea rushes over the DMZ and attacks South Korea. And everybody wants to mock Trump. We had no problems with North Korea. We had no problems with China. We had no problems in Eastern Europe. So what if he's obnoxious? He kept the peace and he kept prosperity. Oh, and let me add also, China reads about our woke army, how our army is more interested in how we address other people as far as their pronouns versus teaching them to kill. You don't think China's watching that? So we shall see. All right, let's uh, move over to Ukraine. And as I said in my last episode, Russia is amassing an additional half a million troops along the Ukrainian border. And apparently the rumor is that they're going to have a spring offensive. So they've amassed a half a million additional troops on the Ukrainian border. They're bringing massive amounts of equipment, artillery for this spring offensive. And you had Zelensky going around Europe and in the United States asking for F-16s. They want more. They want more. And they were denied the F-16s. So expect this spring offensive to come soon. One thing that popped up also is that there was an article by Seymour Hirsch. And Seymour Hirsch is an old, old reporter. He worked for the AP, worked for New York Times. And I think he's a Pulitzer Prize winner for what it's worth. But he wrote an article this week and came out and said that the U.S. Navy laid bombs that wrecked Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. So the Navy conducted this under the cover of a NATO maritime exercise. And the article goes on and said that, you know, look, the U.S. was aware that if they got caught, this was an act of war against Russia, but they, did it, they went ahead and did it anyway. And this is what I find interesting about this article. It's not that the fact that the article was written, because I think many, many people think it was a U.S. operation, or at least a NATO operation, which included U.S. Navy. So I think a lot of people already knew that. But these type of articles do not come out unless they're approved by the Department of Defense or unless they're fed by the Department of Defense. So I wanted to know why this article came out. And was it to poke the bear? Was it to escalate things further? I I don't know at this point. But here's what I do know. I, I know that the Europeans, NATO, the globalists, are not winning here. Russia is on the verge of winning this thing. And Russia has always been on the verge of winning this thing. It was just a matter of how long it was going to take them. The West sanctions have not worked effectively. Russia has annexed 20% of Ukraine. Ukraine has lost 100,000 of 200,000 soldiers initially. And what I fear is that the globalists, NATO, Europe, They can't accept the fact that they're going to lose this war to Russia and they've got to create chaos. So are they trying to poke the bear with this article by Seymour Hirsch? I don't know. I think we'll find out at some point. Because again, these these people, these people in the West, they, they can't, and what I mean by the West, I mean by the globalists, of which the Biden administration is part of. But my point is, is that they won't be able to accept defeat 
They won't be able to. And again, I'm not saying that Russia will take the entire the entire Ukraine. They could. I'm not sure that's what's going to be the end result. But they can accept Russia winning this. So in turn, they'll create chaos. And that chaos is World War III. So they will escalate, escalate, escalate. And maybe this article by Seymour Hirsch is part of this escalation. So we shall see. So Matt Gates introduced a resolution today in the House of Representatives requesting that the United States end its military and financial aid to Ukraine and urges all combatants to reach a peace agreement as soon as possible. And let me just point out a couple of things that are in this resolution. Now, just a reminder, we've given Ukraine over $100 billion in aid. And isn't it funny is that this war is costing us more than it is Russia. I think it's only costing Russia $7 billion a month, and it's costing us much more than that. So this is what Getz is urge, uh, uh, requesting. But let me get back to the resolution. The, the interesting thing that uh, the resolution points out, let me, let me uh, read this to you. It says here, whereas as of August 30th, 2022, Pentagon officials reported that United States munitions donated to Ukraine have severely depleted United States stockpiles, weakening United States readiness in the event of conflict. Whereas, according to a January 9th, 2023 report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, at the recent rate of production, it will take 12 and a half years to replenish United States stock of javelins sent to Ukraine. Whereas it was reported on November 11, 2022, that the United States has struck a deal with South Korea to purchase thousands of rounds of 155 millimeter ammunition, trying to offset the diminished domestic stockpiles after the United States had supplied Ukraine with nearly a billion rounds of munitions. Whereas providing assistance to Ukraine, the United States is inadvertently contributing to civilian casualties. Whereas as of November 10th, 2022, General Mark Milley, chairman of the United States Joint Chiefs of Staff, stated that approximately 40,000 civilians had died as a result of this conflict. 40,000 civilians and 100,000 soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, dead. And finally, it says here, whereas a result of the conflict, the United Nations has recorded 7.8 million Ukrainian refugees across Europe. And you don't think China's looking at this? You don't think Kim Jong-un is aware of this? So I urge the Biden administration, go to Congress. What are your plans in Ukraine? Is it true you're going to stay with them until the end? And what does that mean for the United States militarily? And now we're finding out we're funding a corrupt administration where Zelensky's had to fire some of his top defense secretaries for corruption, for kickbacks. That's our policy. And then there was a report that initially, oh, they were going to bring Ukraine into the EU. They were going to bring Ukraine into NATO. Now everything's being slow walked. Oh, no, we got to hold back on that because uh, from the EU perspective, they got a long way to go regarding corruption before we consider them in the European Union. And then I read a report that there's some elected official, Ukrainian elected official. You know where they're hanging out on the beaches. And I think in Thailand, all these other different places throughout the world. They're not even in the Ukraine. 
They're hanging out on the beaches. They're hanging out on these extended vacations. So we're giving them all these money. What are they doing? They're taking it and go to the beach. Is that what we want? So we shall see. Okay, I guess I got to spend a couple of moments on the State of the Union that took place this week. And look, it was really hard to listen because this guy is just your typical old school politician that'll just lie through his teeth. He's shameless. And let me just play this clip early on from the speech. And you talk about a shameless politician. Let me play the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. To restore the soul of this nation, to rebuild the backbone of America, America's middle class, and to unite the country. We've been sent here to finish the job, in my view. For decades, the middle class has been hollowed out in more than, and not no one administration, but for a long time. Too many good paying manufacturing jobs move overseas. Factories closed down. Once thriving cities and towns that many of you represent became shadows of what they used to be. Oh, this is rich. Here's a guy that has been in Washington since 1970. And this was the same time period that the middle class was decimated. Jobs going overseas, jobs going to China. And this guy presided over all the laws that were passed that screwed the middle class in this country. And he's got a nerve to say, oh, we've got to take care of the middle class. We've got to bring the middle class back. Well, it was you that tried to destroy them. So I just find that so rich. And then he's got the nerve that the one country that really has hurt the middle class, China, him and his son are trying to do business with them. So the nerve of him. But what do you expect? He's just a shameless politician. And then he went on later to talk about the negotiation for the debt ceiling. And this is after Donald Trump comes out, Speaker McCarthy comes out and says that Social Security and Medicare are off the table as far as the debt limit negotiations. And what does he do? He tells everybody that, oh, yes, the the Republicans, they want to take away Social Security. They want to take away Medicare. And then when he gets called out by the Republicans, you know what his answer was? Well, some of you did. So he just exposes himself. He doesn't realize. He just exposed himself right there as a liar. The misleader in chief. That's what he is. But look, it was a waste of time. And then he talks about at the very end, what is he doing? He's talking about ticket fees, concert fees. Airline fees? I don't want to hear that from my president. That's so petty. That's so small. Let's talk about the big things. Okay, let me touch on one last subject before we go for the day. A second New Jersey councilman was murdered this week. And let me just go to the article real quick. And this is from the New York Post. And it says, New Jersey councilman Russell Heller shot dead just a week after slaying of Eunice Dwumfor. So last week, a councilwoman from Sayreville, New Jersey, was murdered. And I think it was yesterday or two days ago, Russell Heller, a councilman from Milford, New Jersey, was murdered. Now, these are two Republicans. Now, imagine if they were two Democrats that were murdered. Uh, You know, it would be all over the papers, being number one on CNN, number one on MSNBC. Ah, this conspiracy, people are killing Democrats. See what those Republicans are doing. But these were two Republicans, so the story gets buried. Now, I live in New Jersey. I worked in New Jersey for a long time. And as you know, I've worked in some of the most corrupt places in the country. And I know that things can get violent in politics in New Jersey. But we don't know if any of this was politically related. But you never know. It's New Jersey. Now, while we're on the topic of New Jersey, I just wanted to point out that 
the entire leadership of a New Jersey town switched from Democrat to Republican. It says the entire leadership of the town of East Hanover, New Jersey, just flipped from Democrat to Republican. It's probably safe to assume the reasons for the change were the economy and crime, but you have to wonder if other factors were in play. Will anybody be surprised if this starts happening in other states? It says town leaders in East Hanover, New Jersey, including longtime mayor Joseph Panulo, have switched party affiliations from Democrat to Republican, according to the Daily Record. The entire township council joined Panulo in making the switch. Municipal leaders have a responsibility to best represent their constituents, and it is our belief this change in party is the best interest of the community, Panulo said, who has served for mayor since 2007. As the nastiness, rhetoric, and social media vitriol of national politics continue to infiltrate local governance, we collectively determined this was the best course of action to keep the focus on local issues impacting our community. And I can see that because I can see that the these left-wing agenda seekers have been trying to infiltrate local municipalities here in New Jersey. And I guess this is a real pushback. This is, you know, these people come in and they try to twist the arms of these local mayors, local administrators. And I'm sure that the East Handover Council and mayor just had enough of it. And they probably said, we're not even listening to you. As a matter of fact, we are switching parties. So that's what I think has happened. And that's good news. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week and I will talk to you next Saturday.